Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. If I was a detective, I would be looking through my old cases for sure. In December, 10TV aired an update on the death of 15-year-old Lori Nesson. That night, a viewer called police with information that helped close the 46-year-old case. And Wednesday, Crime Tracker 10's Angela Ann revealed that information helped investigators ultimately solve the case. Well, tonight, Crime Tracker 10's Lacey Crisp continues our coverage as she explains how crime analysts put the pieces together. busy and I got too much going on and uh look I've been listening to the show and so uh, no I'm joking but I'm very happy to be on anytime uh anytime to chat with my good friend Bill yeah you know it's been really interesting I've been focused these past few weeks on DNA cases and cold cases that kind of you know they kind of reach a realm once they cross that 40 year period or even 30 year period where you're really grasping at straws. And I think I covered a case from 1953 and then I covered a case from 1972. And the case that we're going to talk about today is actually, there are actually a couple cases uh, within the topic that we're talking about today. And that is the case of Lori Neeson. And she was actually uh, killed back in 1974. And she was a student at Columbus's Eastmore High School. And mm-hmm. I know that you being from Columbus, uh, I'm assuming that you were aware of this case 
And when this DNA uh, evidence came out just uh, recently, um, it's something that probably hit close to home to you. What are your thoughts about, uh, you know, the Lori Neeson case and the breakthrough that just happened? Well, truth be told, Bill, I was unaware of this case until they made the uh, DNA connection until that information came out and obviously completely excited that, that they made this connection and that we finally have uh, this case being closed out in, in the proper manner. Um, Eastmore High School, just to give a little background here, is um, on the east side of, of Columbus proper and it's it's a fairly, it would have been a fairly large school even in the 70s. And this would have been a well-populated area. Um, the thing that really caught my eye when this came out and they connected two individuals saying, hey, these are the perpetrators of having killed this uh, young woman. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, wow, this, this is incredible because there were a lot of cases that were already on my radar, unsolved cases from the early 70s, late 70s, and early 80s that I thought, well, if these two maniacs are out there doing this um, sort of thing, and we'll get into the sort of thing that they were doing, it sounded familiar to me in regards to some of those other cases. So I was completely intrigued by the breakthrough that they made in this case and I'm sure knowing the Franklin County Sheriff's Department and Columbus PD, how thorough that they've been and how uh, invested they've been, specifically Columbus PD in cold cases as of the past five years, that I'm sure they looked at these two guys in other cases as well. Yeah. And the two guys that we're talking about are Charles Weber and Robert Meyer. And these guys, I mean, you want to talk about some of the worst of the worst. I mean, you talk about people and recidivism and, you know, being in and out of the system. I mean, these guys from 1963 basically were uh, terrorizing women in Ohio. And it's shocking that it took so long for them to actually, you know, get connected to these other crimes, but kudos to the, uh, you know, attorney general and the detectives who basically, you know, ran the DNA again. And another thing that's so interesting about this case, the Lori's case, is that it was actually spawned from a tipster. And you know about this tipster. And that was uh, you said she was a was she a cousin of Karen Adams? Correct. So Karen Adams lived in that same area of the east side of Columbus, you know, so you have the east side of Columbus and then that kind of carries out to Whitehall. And if you continue on east, you go to Reynoldsburg and then the Blacklick area. And so all of these, both of these crimes with this uh, Lori Neeson and uh, Karen Adams, everything involved in their abduction uh, murder and then where the bodies were eventually found are going to involve that that uh, far east side of Columbus and then expand outward from there, continuing east. So it's all that same general area, and we're also talking about the same time frame, right? Within about a year or so of one another, within these, six these, months, actually six months, yes. And so 
what we have here is Karen Adams' cousin. 10TV, which is the local uh, news here in, in Columbus, and, and probably the, well, not probably, it is the biggest news outlet here in Columbus. They own not just the Channel 10 TV, but they own sev- the uh, Columbus Dispatch, as well as several radio stations here. So I that, did not realize that, actually. Yeah, that's that's the big boy here in Columbus. And um, they ran a story on this case. And I believe that when typically when something big or a big story hits 10 TV news, mm-hmm. it's going to hit those other outlets too. You know how the, you, you having worked in the news yes. yourself, you know how this works. There's that trickle down. And so um, it aired on 10 TV news, but I believe the cousin was specifically referencing an article that she had read saying, Hey, this, this unsolved murder, this Lori Neeson unsolved murder has so many similarities to my cousin's murder, which was solved. And it sounds like that one wasn't solved quickly either. No, um, no. In all reality, that case, again, I'd mentioned at the beginning of the episode, once cases reach that 30, 40 year point, you're really lucky. I mean, <laughs> to say the least, is if you find a perpetrator and it was 30 it was 37 years <clears throat> that it went unsolved. So it wasn't like so, it was. Happening. Yeah. So yeah, this was interesting because we had um, several law enforcement agencies that are going to have to work this thing now because we have um, Reynoldsburg police mm-hmm. that are going to get involved. And now they're going to be needing to reach out to Franklin County Sheriff's Department because Franklin County Sheriff's Department is the one that had uh, the previous case. Yes. And so uh, Detective Clark, somebody that I've spoke with multiple times on local cases here, who is a fantastic detective, he's a he's been a detective uh, for for many, many years, a couple decades now, and uh, he's worked several different um, uh, burglary. You know, I think he was in the burglary division for a while um, and also worked robbery and homicide. And I'm not sure what division he is in now. I don't believe he's a cold case detective, but uh, he's a very good detective. And he offered his assistance to Reynoldsburg and offering up what information they had in the in the solved case so that they can compare notes and see if, in fact, if this cousin was right, are there similarities? And both detectives that looked at this from Reynoldsburg and Franklin County both agreed there's so many similarities here that we have to uh we have to invest some further resources into seeing if the same two perpetrators killed, uh, they killed Karen Adams, killed Lori Neeson. Yeah. And then it basically took a cop, you know, the cops to basically send in the DNA that they were able to get from her underwear. And they eventually were able to match it to, uh, to Meyer. And of course, Meyer, his initial reaction was, you know, he denied it. <laughs> I don't know how my DNA would have gotten there, um, but right. you know how things go. Uh, he's a liar and a killer and uh, a kidnapper and pretty much an awful human being. And yeah, the these guys were were rapists and uh, and abductors and killers, and they probably did this more times than they've been caught. And what's bizarre here is they've been caught a lot for (laughs) this kind of activity and thank god that they have 
both spent the majority of their adult lives behind bars because if not, this is something that they, they would have killed dozens and dozens of women had I'm, they not I, been locked up for so much. I'm not surprised. I'm, I, I'm sorry, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not connected to other killings. I mean, the- they, they absolutely are, in my opinion, Bill. I think you're spot on with that. I, I don't know what I would put that number at, but it's just uh, they to- don't have the DNA or, you know, for those cases. And yeah, you can't well, put a number. Do. Well, but right. they, they don't necessarily have the DNA from that particular victim is what I'm Correct. trying to say. I mean, they have their DNA, obviously. But when it comes to cases, I mean, again, like I talked about naperville last week and julianne hansen and there were so many stabbings and murders in chicago and i mean i guess the 70s were kind of like the heyday of serial killers i guess if you want to call it that because there really wasn't any communication between different authorities and different jurisdictions i mean somebody could commit a murder in one town and go live in another and they wouldn't be able to connect the dots because they just didn't have any DNA technology or any way to other than like say fingerprints and stuff like that. And anybody who was committing crimes was probably going to be wearing gloves, but like these particular guys, these guys sound like prowlers and just Mm -hmm. like we had talked, I think off the record about how this sounds like almost like a weekend activity. I think you, you referenced that and Again, if you get convicted for something like this within six months, I mean, I know it, they were convicted decades after the crimes actually were committed. But if they committed those two crimes, as those heinous crimes, murders, kidnappings of two young women, uh, raping and assaulting them as well. And it's like, well, what else did they do? Because that's just six months. I mean, I know that the one guy spent 34 years of his life in jail, but what were you doing when you weren't outside of jail? Because it certainly this, sounds this like this is what they were doing. Yeah. Um, you know, look, and, and I think in a lot of jurisdictions and I don't have the, the proper terminology in front of me, but I think that um, cohorting with convicted felons is a, uh, a felony amongst itself. Well, it, and it's also a violation of probation. Yeah, or that's what I, that's or kind of what I meant. Violation. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. And there's a reason for that. Um, you know, look, it's, and I, why are you mentioning then? Why are you mentioning this, Nick? Is because these two guys met when they were locked up. I was just going to go there too. 1963, they meet in prison. I mean, one of them was already locked up for murder. Yeah. I mean, hey, I think he, he killed somebody with a hammer, you know. Uh, and I'm not, I couldn't find what the other guy was locked up for. I um, would just take a wild guess and say it was something along the lines of assault, murder, and rape or, or kidnapping. Murder. <laughs> yeah, I, I would bet attempted murder would be my first guess. Um, sure. So what we have here, Bill, is a situation that we've seen before, uh, where we have people of like-mindedness finding one another in the worst place that you could find like-minded people. Yeah. And that would be in prison. Yep. Uh, people serving long sentences. Unfortunately, uh, the sentences weren't long enough. And um, there was a lot of overcrowding in, in prisons uh, in, in the seventies. And unfortunately that made a lot of States let people out a little earlier than they wanted to, and that they should have. 
Uh, Ohio has been guilty of that. And several other states have been guilty of that. The worst that we saw was probably in Texas during the seventies. Um, but with, with this case, these two maniacs, these two monsters, they're, they're homicidal monsters is what they are. And back up a and, second. I want to wait, wait, you can't throw that Texas thing out there. What, what are you referring to? The Texas let out the broomstick killer um, okay. who, who had viciously raped and murdered and, and kidnapped uh, women. And they let him out because they, they, the popular, the overcrowding was so bad in Texas back then that they started letting out the nonviolent offenders. Okay. Well, once they let them all out, the, the prison population, it was still overpopulated. They had to start letting out the violent offenders so much so that they let out no, people that had been convicted of, of murder and not just murders, heinous murders. And so they let out, uh, uh, McDuff, the, the, who went on to be called the broomstick killer. And he killed him, several women after they let him out. And that, that's all this guy was ever going to do was go, he was going to spend his time, uh, doing drugs and abducting and raping and killing women. And he did that successfully after they let him out. And he is a large reason, a big part of the reason why now in Texas, they, you know, we think of Texas as, uh, oh, this state that does not take no shit from nobody, right? Take no prisoners, take no shit. And if you, if you kill here in our state, not only will we execute you, but we will put you on a fast track that other states won't put you on. Well, the reason why they had that fast track to execution is the lessons they learned the 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 sad truth of what it became uh for them back in in the 70s when they were forced to i don't know if forced is the right word but when they felt that they were forced to let people like uh mcduff out of prison the reason why i brought that up is because i i personally didn't know much about that particular aspect of uh texas in the 70s and i was not familiar with the broomstick killer so i just wanted to basically hear what you were referring to and at least let the listeners know uh what you were referring to there because i think that 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 also falls in line with what also was going on in the 70s and that was the uh the release of all the uh, insane asylums don't we can't forget about that I mean, Correct. when they were not allowed to commit people against their will, all the asylums where people of, you know, the bad, bad people with bad, bad thoughts spent a lot of time. And when those I mean, they were basically just let go. And you wonder why, like the homeless population spiked and murders spiked and. I mean, the 70s were a crime ridden era. I mean, these guys, I mean, Robert Meyer and Charles Weber, I mean, fit right in with the bad dudes of the 70s. And I mean, just picture them walking around in the pen talking about, man, we get out of here. We're going to go. I mean, that they're probably just scheming the whole time they're in jail about, mm -hmm. you know, they have similar interests. Hey, we both like to rape and kill women. That's not good to have them together i mean i get that like you really i know that they try to make an effort to not i don't know if they make an effort to try to keep these people these like-minded ind individuals apart but especially in the 70s they weren't i i know that 
I mean, well, you can't when you're confining them in the same four walls. I mean, it's it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Number one, and not to l- allow Kenneth McDuff to the Broomstick Killer to take over this show or 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 take over this topic. But he was, you know, I cited him, but he was actually released and paroled in the the '80s, in the late '80s. But that was from a, it was a problem that didn't start the month before the year before it was a problem that started uh, well before they were forced to let out somebody like Kenneth McDuff. But he was, I mean, he was convicted. He killed two people that he was originally um, sorry, three people. He was originally sentenced to die three death sentences that were commuted to life <laughs> imprisonment and then they paroled him yeah that um, makes sense totally makes and sense. so that tells you the state of affairs in the prison system down in, in the state of texas and keep in mind that, that each state runs their own prison system and so that was the problem that was going on then he was for people that listen to true crime garage they might be familiar with kenneth kenneth mcduff not because we've we've not covered him specifically but he was and remains in a lot of people's minds to this day a possible suspect in the yogurt shop case and everybody because he because he was out and in that general area during the time and not only that he he said to some people like he he liked to play games with the cops um and he said to he you know, like he, when they asked him about yogurt shop, he was always very weird about it. And then later in life, he said, uh, uh, he, I think he even told some people he did it, but, uh, I don't think, I don't think he did. Um, number one and, uh, number two, he said some other things like, um, almost like belittling the crimes of yogurt shop. Like if had he done it, they would have as bad as that whole thing was bill. He's saying had he done it, it would have been a worse, a worse crime. Um, Yeah, because go ahead. Well, because with the yogurt shop murder case, I mean, they're really none of the women were sexually assaulted except for one. Right. Or was Um, I don't want to get into the specifics of yogurt shop because um, that's a whole. I know. I know. I I did like a three parter on it. At least at least one of the female victims. There were four female victims and at least one of them was uh, sexual. Because you would think. But I I feel like with the yogurt shop case, unless Kenneth McDuff was with another dude. I mean, I think those two guys at the end of the night were the ones that committed the crime. And people who probably have no idea what I'm talking about can go back and listen to your episodes on the Yogurt Shop Murders and Stitcher app or my episodes on the Yogurt Shop Murders or uh, who killed the girls. These girls, those girls. are. Uh... Yeah. So the, the, the thing that connects him to Yogurt Shop is there was an abduction and torture and murder of a woman that was abducted not terribly far from the Yogurt Shop within i would say within a year or so of the yogurt shop case and mcduff committed that crime with somebody else with an accomplice so um Mm. yeah so dude i'm telling you when you look at him and you look at yogurt shop there's a lot of reasons to think that he could have done it i said on true crime garage that his mo was to find a female victim and take them somewhere and he did that almost every single time. And so my thought has always been with McDuff, 
his his number one goal would have been to take the victim somewhere because what he was interested in was the torture portion of his crimes more so than anything else. All those other crimes only came about because he wanted to uh, sexually assault and torture women at the same time. And so he would have removed all four victims from the yogurt shop and taken them with him somewhere. Um, And that didn't happen. And, And that doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that McDuff didn't do it. It's just my dumb garage opinion. Now, Back to our case, though, Mm -hmm. uh, what is interesting to me is two like-minded individuals who meet in prison, it's not a rare thing, right? It's not a rare thing. Uh, We know that uh, the In Cold Blood, the the Clutter family, they were killed from two guys that met in prison. Now, they were killed for different reasons than what uh, Meyer and Weber were out doing, but Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris out in Cle- out in uh, uh, California. They killed five oh, people in 1979. Otis Tool and uh, whatever the other dude's name was. Uh, who was his partner in crime? It's Otis Tool's partner in crime. Uh, Lee Lucas. Yeah, Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah, I mean... Did they meet in prison? Because yeah, I know would, Bitter- You would think. I mean... Yeah. Well, I mean, how else exactly. would these two individuals meet? I mean, they weren't like right. gregarious social-minded individuals the only place they well, could meet would be in prison because that's the only place we know Bittaker in. and Norris met in prison they were they killed five women together in 1979 they met when in lockup in uh, San Luis Obispo Obispo that's always a weird name for me to say yeah and then we have this is a lesser known one um, but these are I'm only citing a couple here this is a, a lot more common than I think people are aware of but uh, Stephen Dean Gordon and Frank Cano, uh, they killed five uh, people in Santa Ana and Anaheim, California in 2013 and 2014. Um, they were both wearing ankle monitors when they killed these five people. Um, they met under similar circumstances. And what you have here, Bill, is people that get together, unfortunately, what people like Meyer and Weber have in common, and they might not really fully understand who they are, but my understanding and my belief with these types of monsters are that number one, above and beyond, often what we see in these cases is you get two guys that are locked up for rape or sexual assault. And then they start talking with each other and they, then they both have the same understanding of their crimes. Well, I was only convicted. I only got caught because, because pardon my French, I'm going to talk like I'm one of these guys, but um, I only got caught because that bitch, I didn't, she, she, you know, she went to the cops. She was able to ID me. She was able to um, tell them what kind of car I was driving or give them some kind of evidence against me. And they start to develop this idea that, you know what? If I would have killed her, she wouldn't have been around to to tell anybody. She wouldn't have been able to tell anybody that I was driving a blue van or a green pickup truck or a white uh, Buick. She wouldn't have been around to tell them that I was six foot two wearing a cowboy hat and blue jeans. Uh, She wouldn't have been around to tell them that I grabbed her out of the parking lot of the bar down the street. And they and the wheels start to turn and they start to go, you know what? 
when I get out, after I get out from serving eight, 10, 15 years, whatever it is for what I'm, what I was put in for, I ain't leaving. I'm, I'm never going to stop. You're not going to get me to stop sexually assaulting and raping women. I'm not stopping that. I'm just going to change my game. And I'm not going to leave that bitch alive to tell them anything about me. And they'll never catch me. And the reason why these guys do it, and it's so easy for them to make the switch from rape to murder, is because they're raping because they hate women. Right. They want to destroy women anyway. So it's not that big of a leap for them to go, all right, I want to, I've been doing this. And now I'm going to go to graduate to murder because they were so close to doing it before. Now they have some other a-hole here that's cheering them on. This is not only that, I'll help you. And so these guys, Meyer and uh, Weber, basically what they're doing, look, do I have hobbies? Yes. Bill, you got some hobbies? Yeah. I'm guessing that our hobbies are pretty regular white bread uh, (laughs) vanilla hobbies, right? I like to watch football. I like to go out with my buddies and uh, play cards, throw darts. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. You're you're, you're forgetting about the the times that we like to go drive around and oh wait i shouldn't talk about that sorry Uh, right (laughs) these guys their hobby is hunting or fishing or redoing old cars it's you know hey let's go out have some drinks and then we'll drive around in my van or my pickup truck (laughs) gotta be a van whatever gotta be a van (laughs) well but for what they want to do a van offers a different kind of mobile structure than what a vehicle does than a car does right they're they're their number one goal, Weber and Meyer, is the the rape portion. Just like we talked about McDuff, his fascination was with the torture per- portion of his crime. All those other crimes were necessary because he wanted to torture a woman. Weber and Meyer, all of their other crimes are necessary for them to commit because they want to rape a woman. And you said something earlier about you're a little surprised that these weren't solved. I frankly, I'm not surprised that they went, it took so long to solve them because 95%, maybe probably more. It's in the high percentile of the murders and homicides that happen in this country is because somebody is mad at somebody else. And these are people that know one another. Bill did something to me. You know what? I'm going to get revenge on him. And maybe my assault's going to, I'm going to lose it. It's going to turn into murder. Maybe I didn't intend to murder Bill, but it ended up being that way. What have you. But the 90 the some percent of the murders and homicides in this country are a result of one person being angry at another individual for something. And so when you have these two convicted felons who are already, I mean, they're, they're violent, murderous, raping individuals. They're driving around drunk, probably still drinking in whatever vehicle. And I'm, I'm not trying to sell a band, the van t-shirt. I, I own a van myself. All right. Do you? <laughs> yes, I do own a van, but I don't know if you should be talking about that, Nick. <laughs> what, what I'm pointing out again, a van offers a different type of structure. It offers a different type of space for these guys to do what it is that they want to do. And unfortunately for the victims, these are just completely crimes of opportunity. These guys are unorganized, uh, unorganized serial sex offenders is what they are. 
24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Let's hear from this week's sponsor, Best Fiends. It's really great to be getting back to normal this summer. I know I'll be heading to the movies and hitting the beach. And while at the beach, I may give my brain a refreshment by opening Best Fiends on my phone. True crime calls for a beach break now and then, and that's when I turn to Best Fiends. Solving puzzles is kind of my thing, and Best Fiends offers me a new challenge every day. It's way more fun than the other matching puzzle games out there. It's also one of those games that makes 30 minutes feel like 30 seconds. And guess what? It's totally free to download. One of the coolest parts about Best Fiends is whenever I open the game, there's something new going on every time. Whether it's a new challenge, new levels, or a fun monthly event. And I am really flying through these levels, which is an example that pretty much anybody can play. I find that moving through these puzzles and these different levels is a great experience, and it really does refresh my brain. Collecting all those different characters is just another reason that I turn to Best Fiends for a challenge. So if you're tired of the same old puzzle games, I believe this game is for you. And I actually have a favorite character, and he's aptly named Temper because he fits my personality. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, we are back. And what an unorganized individual do is they don't, they're not really worried about hiding their identity because there's no reason for them to do so. One, they don't know the victim, whoever, you know, whoever's going to end up being their victim. They don't know who that is. And I I'm willing to bet that these guys not only have more victims, uh, I wouldn't put the number so high, but, but my other guess would be that. And I don't have, I should say, I, I don't, have to guess this i would be willing to bet the farm and that van that i just mentioned <laughs> that these guys went out and did this many nights yeah probably once or twice a week uh and this was typical behavior for them and why did they kill on night a and not kill on night b just sadly in this situation it's probably just because they didn't see anybody on night b yeah you know it's like you, you you do these things you go out you go it's not like 
when I say like when we're talking about hobbies and we're saying that these guys enjoyed prowling and stuff like that, like you said, okay, they go out three or four nights a week. It's we're not saying that they went out and killed three or four women a week because you know, generally speaking, if you're do if you do that at that high of a volume, chances are you're going to get caught sooner rather than later. Uh, I think when you, when they didn't kill, I think they probably either one didn't come across a victim or if they did come across a victim, the circumstances were one, they have already been seen or, you know, there was eyewitnesses. And again, like these two girls, Karen Adams and Lori Neeson were abducted in probably a very, a very quick amount of time. It doesn't take very long to drag somebody into your van and cruise off if there's nobody in sight. And then if somebody turns the corner who's walking around the block, they wouldn't even know that girl was there. So I think in these particular cases, it is, I mean, they're clearly crimes of opportunity, but they're also seeking out these crimes. And then I think they're making a choice on whether or not is this one going to get us caught? I mean, I really don't feel like going back to jail. But I mean, if the rate, I don't know, man, it's 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 tough to get in the mind of a killer when you're not a killer because. Well, it can be, but these individuals aren't particularly complex no, individuals. No. Um, they're they're very I mean, they're they're Neanderthals. Very, yes, thank you. Um, they they have very little in the way of priority they have no goals <laughs> that's what they are they don't again they're unorganized offenders that that traditionally what the numbers tell us they have no need to hide no want nor need to hide their identity because they don't know who their victim's going to be it won't be known to them and if you're out driving around and you're not picking you're not throwing somebody in your van or vehicle until midnight or one in the morning or two in the morning uh and and they Look, what where they are, I, these guys are not intelligent as the, in the definition of the word. Mm -mm. They're intelligent at getting away with what they want to do because A, they've done it before and got away, and B, they've done it before and got caught. So through trial and error, they've learned some things to do and some things not to do. And what they are looking for is a female victim it does they're not particularly particular about who their victim is they're they're looking for the opportunity what is the opportunity a female victim that's solo out by herself that we happen to come across and there's just so happens to be no cars around or nobody else to see us to identify our vehicle or a plate number or that it was you know uh what what our description, our physical description is. And then think about the, the way that they leave the body afterwards. In a they're ditch. Just, yes, they just pull up and throw the body in a ditch somewhere. Mm -hmm. And why? Because they have no, there's no reason for them to go to the lengths and to the measures of concealing the body because there's no connection from the victim to them. And as sad as it may be, that's what these guys did. What is our proof that they that they've done it multiple times? These guys are serial killers working together. Our proof is a 
the one guy was already locked up for murder. And when he gets out in 73, he's become buddies with the other guy. And then they go out murdering together. And as Bill said, within a six month time period, they managed to abduct and murder two different women. And then in 1977, in 1977, they're convicted for a, uh, two separate incidents in Northwest Ohio Mm -hmm. where they did basically the same thing. They just were unsuccessful in the killing portion of it. Yeah. Where they, yeah, Toledo area. They abduct rape and attempted murder on two different victims and two different, uh, and two different separate attacks. So what they did there likely uh, it looks to me, Bill, from what I could see, unfortunately, Karen Adams and, uh, Lori Neeson, it looks to me like they were probably strangled. Mm-hmm. And um, if I have that wrong, I, I know you'll correct me, but uh, at a later they don't, date, they it's... don't mention, they don't mention too much about like how they're, how they, you know, the aut- what the autopsies showed as far as, um, you know, I know that their body, like she was found nude. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, she was assaulted and then sexually assaulted. And that's just, to me, that's, and discarded that way that and I, I hate to use that word because we're talking about a human being but that's what it was to these guys these guys right. didn't think no even like last week i did a case on julianne hansen and the guy in that case uh he says at one point during his like it, it, you know when he's confessing he's like well i put a jacket over her because i didn't want her to get cold i mean there are different types of murders, and I know that's weird for people to try to grasp, but like people who respect women and kill them. I, I mean, I don't think there's anybody that, that's like that. I mean, I just think that there's a. I don't know, killers have different motivations, but these guys in particular, their motivation was strictly to get what they wanted out of it, and that was right. to. I hate to use this because it's it sounds so colonial, but rape and pillage, you know, these women. And it's kind of almost like these guys were uh, pre-programmed to do this kind of stuff. I mean, sure, they meet in prison. Meyer's already there for murder. Uh, Weber, you know, is there probably for assault. Um, You know, it's just, it's so interesting that they had four years where they could have been doing this. And I think if I'm an investigator from that area, from anywhere in the state of Ohio, I am going to be looking at any case between 1973 and 1977 that involves any, any young female that is not solved. I mean, how can you not look at these guys for every single case because of their propensity. I mean, he even says it in his confession. We would go, we would go out and prowl. We would sexually mm-hmm. assault. And I mean, like, like that sounds like he's boasting about it. So yeah, they, the, according to the detect, I mean, one, that's one of the killer's own words. Yes, exactly. We would get together and we would go out and drive around looking for a victim. And then later you have the detective saying, Hey, these guys were out drunk. They would get nice and nice and lubricated and drunk and go out and drink and drive. And, uh, look for a victim Mm -hmm. and uh unfortunately some nights they found him and then with the toledo cases my guess is probably the attempt the why i keep going back to strangulation is that seems to be 
the thing that killers get wrong most often from from the cases I've reviewed, yep. where they think that they've successfully killed someone, but they they later come to, and they've even gone to the point where they've discarded or dumped the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, and and then the fortunately the the victim wakes up at some point, yeah, and is able to tell police what happened and and who abducted them and what they did to them, and so these guys locked up from from. Uh, well, one of them for 10 years. I don't know when the other one went in. But yeah, it doesn't out. stay. And here, think of the, the the continued streak of bad luck for just the communities involved here. They get out roughly about the same time, 73. Um, they're out for that three to four year time period before they're convicted of the attempted murders up in Northwest Ohio. Yeah. And then they spend a good amount of time in prison again. I think they're released, uh, what, 2001? Well, uh, I think Weber died in 92. So Weber dies in 92. (laughs) Or 94, 92 or 94, I don't know. 2001, Meyer gets out. But then in 2011, Meyer is then convicted of the Adams case. Mm -hmm. And it's not until 2021 that they connect Meyer and Weber to the uh, the Neeson case, which they had already Weber Weber uh, confessed mm-hmm. to the Adams case at some point while he was already locked up. So a lot of all their crimes that they did after 73, they likely did all of them together. It sounds like to me um, that doesn't mean that it's impossible that they did them separately. It's just easier, probably was easier for them to do them together. Uh, it's, it's scary power and numbers th- and it's scary to think about the the number of victims that they possibly could have because you're talking about a four-year time span you're talking about people that were probably doing this very frequently or or wanting to do it frequently and think about the distance between to the far east side of columbus and toledo that's that's what, not close proximity for people that are listening in other states what what what's the drive time well, on we're that? talking we're, half, two hours two, we're talking two hours and we're talking about you can go 70 to 75 and you go up 75 and you're gonna go through finley you're gonna go through bowling green i mean i'd be, i would look at cases around the bowling green area i mean think about all the co-eds uh around there uh then you have Toledo. I mean, we're not talking about, I mean, Ohio people, a lot of, a lot of people like to think of Ohio as just straight up farmland. And yeah, we have a lot of farmland, but we also have a lot of big cities or a lot of bigger cities than most people think of. I mean, if you think about Cincinnati, Columbus, Dayton, Cleveland, Cleveland, Toledo, Toledo. Youngstown, Akron. I mean, oh, Akron's huge. That's what I'm saying. Like we're all talking. We're talking about a few hundred thousand people in all of these cities. Uh, Columbus is obviously, I think, the most populated because Columbus is what, like the 13th largest it's, city. It's, it's a- because you have such damn large. Your city's so much larger than Cleveland. It's so it's hilarious. Right. Like our proper is so much smaller than Columbus right. proper. Columbus is sprawling. Oh, it's and it's crazy. Columbus, you know, not to go on a tangent, but I mean, Columbus is like the mecca of the food, fast food world, man. I mean, it's like if you ever if <laughs> you're is. like if a company wants to test something out, they go to Columbus. It's crazy. Well, Wendy's was founded. Well, Dave uh, Thomas, absolutely. Greater- 
greater Columbus area. Absolutely. I've been to the original. God bless Wendy's. I mean, isn't the original downtown on? Uh, that was the second one. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? That might, might be the first one. It was actually, uh, originated from Dublin. Oh, okay. Ohio. Um, but, but gets called Columbus. So I I don't know if that means that the first one was in Dublin or if Dave Thomas was just from Dublin. Yeah. Not to go on a fast food. Yeah. That's a whole nother story. Welcome to, welcome to fast food nation with Bill Huffman and Nick from true crime garage. Did you check out the garage? Did you check out the latest chicken sandwich from wherever <laughs> yeah no anyway back so to the story I, I did a quick in so eastmore high school mm-hmm. now one of the victims here was we have witnesses that hung out with her that night and we know that uh there unfortunately these guys found her while they were out trolling in the middle of the night and she had gone to a football game that's i mean it doesn't get any more Ohio than that high school you go to every high school home football game and if you're lucky enough you're popular enough to get invited to a party or two afterwards uh I didn't or go to friendlies or go to friendlies or subway or wherever this well the local bill was popular enough to go to the friendlies I was popular enough to just go home um (laughs) but our victim here unfortunately was popular enough to be invited to a couple of parties that they attended at least one of them afterwards so these guys were picking them up in the middle of the night. These football games don't end until 10, 1030 at night. Um, I mean, it's, again, and, it's dark and it's the seventies. It's not like we're talking about uh, people were very cognizant about personal security. It's not like there were cameras, CCTV lights everywhere. Like there are nowadays. I mean, it is, it was probably a heck of a lot easier to, to abduct somebody at 1030 than it is now at 1030. I mean, just, in that area alone, I guarantee you it's a brighter, more, uh, I mean, cameras and ATMs, cameras and freaking banks, cameras and everywhere. Oh, yeah. And especially once you get back to uh, like Whitehall is today is very inner city. I don't think it would have been that way in 1970. Uh, and Reynoldsburg would have been very much a ghost town after after 11 p.m. Yeah, Reynoldsburg isn't Reynoldsburg kind of the I don't want to say the boonies, but isn't it kind of no, no, not, not quite okay. uh, because you, you have a you have a lot of suburbs uh, today uh, that Reynoldsburg might have been a little boonies in 70 in the early 70s. Okay. Um, uh, so Columbus, it just seems is, like a good place to ditch a body if you needed to ditch a body. It, well, that's what they're doing. They're, they're they're picking her up from a location and then they're driving away from the city. Uh, to dump the body when they're done doing whatever they're doing. Um, today, Columbus is the 14th most populous city in the United States. That's, I feel like we're skyrocketing. I, yeah, no, I, I you're feel right. like just years ago it was like 16. Well, you do actually increase your population every year where Cleveland loses population every year. <laughs> it's a weird thing. But I think it also has to do with Ohio State and the fact that you have a sprawling, a much bigger area to to kind of uh, build out. I mean, Cleveland, we are kind of locked in by the lake. So uh, it is one of these days that university is going to own this town. If well, it doesn't say what are you talking about? (laughs) It's just more fun to say it that way, Bill. Um, But to not to freak anybody out here, but when we talk about what these guys could have been up to and we talk about the cold cases that are out there, 
according to the Ohio Attorney General's office, the cold case homicide database that they have, there are over 2,200 cold case homicides in the state of Ohio. And I am here to tell you, Bill, and everybody else out there in listener land that that number, uh, they're, they're missing people from that list. There are, there are unsolved homicides in this state that I know that have not made their way to that database yet, because the way that that database works is it is on the investigating agency's backs for them to supply the information to basically submit their case to the database. And if they don't bother to do so, it doesn't end up on the database. So what we do know is over 2,200 confirmed unsolved homicides in the state of Ohio and a quick uh, Google Maps, Toledo, Ohio to Eastmore Academy High School in Columbus mm-hmm. is a two-hour and 29-minute drive. Yeah. That's Those a ins- lot of land. There's a lot of ditches between mm. those two spots. And I'm not kidding when I, like, I mean, you talk about, you know, I know these guys were convicted of, you know, Karen Adams was 17. So that's the reason why I think of like, okay, 18 year olds would still fall in line. 19 year olds, college girls. I mean, you have the university of Finley, you have, uh, again, university of Toledo, Bowling green, uh, all these different colleges and universities along that path. It's, there's got to be some connections to some of those unsolved cases in those parts of the state that are related to, to Meyer and Weber. I mean, it's, it seems almost impossible that they didn't do more than just these two killings. I, I, I refuse to believe that. And like, like you said, you bet you're, you're going to bet your van, your farm. I, I'll bet my, yeah, I, I bet my house that it's, uh, it's there at the very least, there are assaults that they were never convicted of, uh, and I would almost guarantee there must murders. Be, right. And there must be. Um, all right. Well, never mind. I, I'm strike that from the record. I don't want to go down that road. Well, but, um, you know, I'll, it, I'll, and I'm, I'm not changing gears here, but what I what I'm trying to point out to the listeners mm-hmm. and, you know, we're lucky enough that that we both have a, a lot of listeners and a lot of good people in the state of Ohio listening Think about the way this went down. Karen Adams homicide in the early seventies was not solved until 2011. Okay. And then we have Lori Neeson's case is not solved until 2021. And her case is solved simply because somebody notified the Reynoldsburg police department that says, Hey, that sounds a lot similar to, to how the Karen Adams was killed. So, what I want to throw out there to everybody is these guys were on the loose and actively working and abducting and killing together from 73 to maybe late 76 or sometime in 77. I don't have the exact conviction date when they were convicted right. in 77. And I would, I'm guessing it might've been in two separate trials, but I'm, I, this is a, a heed the call moment to all the listeners out there in, in the state of great state of Ohio, especially those that are, have awareness from Columbus, Ohio up to Toledo. Absolutely. That's again, 200, uh, two and a half hour drive time between those two points. If you are aware of a cold case, 
of especially if it's a, a woman found by herself in a ditch or alongside the road or a cornfield that was uh, that was murdered in cold case from that time period and that window of three to four years a simple call of hey this sounds a lot similar to what these guys were doing and it's a it's a situation where like bill said they may not have victim may not have been able to pull dna off of certain victims for any number of reasons uh it was the 70s it was early 70s they might not have known to be looking for it um in in these two cases in adams and neeson they may not have been actively storing the dna they may have actively stored the victim's clothing Mm -hmm. and and we know that the in one case that's how they recovered the the dna of the perpetrators so these are these are guys that i think could still be connected to you and i are both in in 100 agreement that they've that they've done and committed other crimes they these could be other homicides and if they were they're unsolved and these are guys that could be connected to to some other cases and I'm intrigued by this because I am hoping that a lot of red flags went up for um, these different sheriff's departments and police departments across this great state to look at these guys and consider these guys. And let's close another case. Let's get another case off of, off of the desk and, uh, and close it. And, and I don't want to use the word closure. No, nope, no. Nope. The, the more I do this, the less I believe in it. And, uh, but let's, provide answers to those who didn't have answers of what happened to their loved ones so many years ago. Yeah, I, I would agree a hundred percent. And I think that you did a good job of calling, you know, a call for action, a CFA, uh, whatever you want to call it acronym wise. Uh, it's definitely something that people should be cognizant of. I mean, again, this case was solved by the tip of uh a relative but still somebody it was a tip i mean it really is amazing if people pay attention to the cases that they have in their neighborhoods that are unsolved in the 70s and you think there may be a connection i mean hit up crime stoppers hit up your local police i mean it's not like some of these towns you know you could be in a small town and they might be there might be one unsolved murder along the way because how many small towns were between here and Toledo like we were saying exactly I mean I mentioned the big cities bigger cities and the colleges but again like you said there are so many ditches and so many different places to discard a body uh, and that's you know I hate to say it like that because it sounds like it's taken away from who the victim was and that they were a person but it's true. I mean, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get rid of the evidence and basically protect their ass and uh, not get caught. And basically, that's what these guys. I mean, this whole this whole story. The you know, Charles Weber and uh, Robert Meyer. These two individuals are a stain on the state of Ohio. And to think that. There were other killers. I mean, there, I know there were two killers in Toledo in the 70s that were also doing similar things. Uh, it, it's crazy, man, like to think that these people are out there and they, they just live amongst us. And it's important for people to 
provide not that closure, but provide evidence of okay. Um, provide evidence for the particular uh, cases. I mean, it, it's one of those things that if there aren't enough people to share the information with the officers, then they're not going to get closure on the cases. And basically all I'm saying is pay attention, do your due diligence. If there's an unsolved case, contact your local authorities because you never know who might be involved. And these guys, their DNA is in the records, so they can at least do a preliminary DNA check if there's DNA in the case. That's exactly right, Bill. And I 100% agree with everything that you said there. And while we're talking about cold cases, if you don't mind, if I could uh, throw in a little plug here before we wrap up today, Um, the, the Ohio history connection is a a place that's near and dear to my heart. They're locally here in Columbus. And we've done, uh, when I say we, I mean, the captain and I from true crime garage have done uh, two events for them in the past. Uh, We did a uh, discussion about a a now solved cold case from Columbus, Ohio. And we also did a discussion on the Sam Shepard case uh, that of course, Bill would be very familiar with from um, uh, because it was a Bay village case uh, up near him. But uh, on Thursday, August 26th of this year, I will be doing not true crime garage, but uh, I will be doing a uh, virtual event for the Ohio um, history connection. And that will be a cold case in Ohio cold case conversation with, uh, myself and James Renner and the proceeds, some of the proceeds of that will be going to obviously the Ohio history connection. And some of that will be going to Porchlight as well. So if there's anybody that wants to join in or listen in on our Ohio cold case conversation, check that out. You can find more information very easily. Just go to ohiohistory.org. Very cool. You got any uh, other pluggables that you'd like to get out there? Where can everybody yeah, listen find to your true, stuff? <laughs> listen to True Crime Garage. It's the second best show next to Who Killed. Um, if you like Who Killed, then you're, you're going to almost like True Crime Garage. Oh. Well, that is <laughs> quite the compliment, but I know you're just pat me on the back but no i do believe true crime garage is the best podcast out there and i am very lucky to have you as uh, a mentor along the way and uh a friend and not a mentor well a you started off as a mentor and have become a friend and it is uh it's very fun to discuss these cases with you because i think your insights are very very informative and the listeners i know for a fact love having love listening to you on the show and i implore everybody if they haven't to check out all your stuff on the stitcher app and your back catalog and all the great episodes that you and the captain do so well and another thing we should probably mention as well and offer our support to the family members of those who have missing individuals from their their lives, people that they are searching for. There is an Ohio missing persons event that will be in Cleveland. I don't have the information in front of me uh, as far as the location, but that will be September 18th. It's pretty easy to find the information. If you just uh, look up uh, Ohio missing event, I think you'll be able to find uh, what you're looking for. That is being put on from my understanding from the uh, Cleveland police department and the 
attorney general's office. So I'm hoping to be able to make it up there for that event uh, to walk around and and chat with some of the these um, their victims. I mean, they're people that are looking for for their missing loved ones. Yeah. And Bill, I'm hoping if if I'm able to make it, I'm hoping to uh, bump into you there as well. Yeah, I, I plan on uh, hooking up with you. And uh, and if James is around, we'll all, uh, we'll make our rounds. And, you know, again, it's not a convention. It's a it's a place where victims congregate and kind of commiserate together. And it's kind of one of the things that I try to focus on with the show and, and it's provide, you know, I, I do it, I say it in the opening and it's a providing a voice for the voiceless. And that's basically my whole goal. Cause a lot of these women are just forgotten. And, mm-hmm. you know, if the family members aren't around to cheer them on or cheer on the law enforcement to solve the cases, then a lot of these cases just don't get solved. So I think it's important to uh, participate in those events. And I think that's uh, all very good information. And I can't uh, thank you enough. Well, and providing a voice for the voiceless, thank you for doing that. And thank you for picking the case that you did this week, because that's what we're seeing here mm-hmm. on, on several occasions where somebody, a voice came, came out from the crowd, out from nowhere and said, hey, take a look at this case. Hey, take a look at this piece of evidence. Take a look at this case because it, it mirrors this one. And so where um, where these cases are incredibly tragic and, and sad and heartbreaking, at least there was a voice for Karen Adams and there was a voice for Lori Neeson. And now we we have some answers and we have a better understanding of how terrible these two individuals were and and um and we also need to look at what else they could be responsible for i agree and i'm glad they're both dead yes not the women the perpetrators of course yeah so yeah because these these and and we are also lucky that they spent the majority of their adulthood locked up because it just these two situations amongst actually well we talked about at least five Mm -hmm. horrific crimes that they were involved in it it shows what who they were that's and and what and what they are yeah if they would have been able to run amok for years and years and decades we would be talking about some of the most prolific serial killers in the history of true crime Mm -hmm. so nick i know you got a role and uh Man, it's always awesome to talk to you, and I know the listeners love it. So thank you so much for your insights and, uh, again, your time. I know it's precious, so I appreciate you having, having you on. Thank you, Bill. It's always, it's always fun to chat with you. Thank you so much again to Nick from the True Crime Garage podcast for taking time out of his crazy schedule to join me this week to discuss a variety of cold cases as well as the crazy guys Robert Meyer and Charles Weber. As you guys know, I do drop new episodes of Who Killed every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. Basically, wherever you're listening to this show right now, you can find all of my episodes. As always, if you enjoy the podcast and my other shows, you can help support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes or you can contribute to the show via Venmo and you can do so by using my username at bill-huffman-3 it's not a lie when I say all contributions big or small help keep these podcasts going 
You can also help support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or, again, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Those five stars do help keep the important cases that I cover, such as Amy's and all the other unsolved cases, in the spotlight. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows I have coming down the pipeline, please don't hesitate to follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. Thank you again so much for listening. Thanks so much again to Nick from the Great True Crime Garage podcast. You can find all their stuff at Stitcher. And if you have not listened to their show, I highly recommend it. And until next time, be healthy and stay safe. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. True terrors of horror, bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there.